Hello, everybody. My name is Lon Strohschein, former public company executive turned lifestyle engineer. One year ago, I left my job as a public company executive, and I left without a resume, without another job, without a Rolodex of clients. But I left anyway. I left believing that the best years of my life were in front of me and knowing that they weren't going to be found where I was standing. I left and my mission has become to inspire the lives of a thousand dudes, to inspire the dude I used to be, to go do the things they want to do. My job here is to give you courage to finally act. And it's to remind you that dude, at this stage in life, nobody shows up to do it for you, but I'm here and I'll travel that highway with you. Thanks for being here. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you along the Normal 40 Highway. Hey, everyone. My name is Lon Strohschein, founder of The Normal 40, and I am super excited that you are here today. Hey, look, we've got a special podcast for you today. We've got returning guest, Michelle Mace Curran. Now, Michelle has become a friend over the last year. She was about where I was when we met in June of 2022. Roughly around the first of the year of 2022, she and I both separated from our jobs. She left the United States Air Force as a Thunderbird pilot, and I left a public company. And we stumbled upon one another about two or three months into our journey as we were both trying to really piece together what it is we wanted the next year and years of our life to look like. We talk all about that. If you go back and you listen to last week's podcast, you're going to hear exactly where Michelle was in June of 2022, and you're going to hear where I was in June of 22. That was a very special recording because it was recorded actually live in front of a community that I host called The Insider. And those are the types of things that go on in The Insider. I bring some special guests in. A lot of times it's just me, but these are the conversations we have. And you heard all about that last week. Look, you've heard me say it a hundred times, and I'm going to keep saying it. I simply never know who I'm going to meet every time I hit join meeting. In June of 2022, I hit join meeting and I was placed face to face with somebody who has become my friend over time. She is somebody who's done incredible work. She continues to just absolutely go vertical in her ascent and she's doing wonderful work. And by the way, she's an absolutely spectacular person to get to know. Mace is doing wonderful things. You're going to hear all about it on the podcast. I'm going to wager a ask it of you on the backside. But look, you get to hear about the hard things, the things that that look really easy on the outside when you hear us show up, the things that look really easy about our, our product and our image and all the things that we put out into the world. And it's hard work. It continues to be hard work, but it's different. It's work for us now. It's work we do for us, by us, on mission, which is so different than the work that we used to do for our employers. It doesn't make it bad. It just makes it different. So look, everyone sit down, buckle up, and just really enjoy the next few minutes with Mace and I as we talk about what we've accomplished in the last year, what she has accomplished in the last year, about the dream we both had to write a book, and how she relaunched one last month, and I'm launching one this month. And just a reminder, I just want to remind every one of you this. Neither Mace or I could imagined one year ago where we would be today. And I want you to know that whatever you're thinking for yourself, whatever grand, crazy scheme, vision, goal, crazy thought you have about what you'd like your life to look like in one year, don't think it's not possible. The only thing you have to do, and you have to do it, is get started. 
reach out to somebody who's done it, reach out to Mace, reach out to me, reach out to one of a thousand people who are on this platform or on LinkedIn or anywhere you can find them who've done it and ask them to coffee, ask them for a call. I still do free rambles. I'm booked out eight weeks, but grab one. Hey everyone, thanks for being here. I'm going to see you on the backside of this podcast. Mace, thanks for this. Hey everyone, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the podcast. Well, look, Mace, I'm super excited to chat with you and to catch up and hear things are going and um, just be curious about what you've got going on. Yeah, I think for both of us, we were in just our initial start of our journeys last time we talked. And from the looks of it, from an outside perspective, it looks like your stuff's going really well. My stuff's going really well. So I think this will be fun to catch up. It's so good that people can only see the outside, isn't it? They don't see all the stress, the moments of doubt, the like sitting, being like, what should I take on next? Should I go after this? Should I go? I want to do all these things at once, but I can't do them all at once. Yeah, they don't see all of that. That's exactly right. In fact, in the in the moments before this, um, so normally I do this podcast with Adam. He had a conflict at this point, so it's going to be just you and me. But Adam and I are trying to put together the next two or three podcast that we've got coming up. And I, I pinged him by text. I'm like, Hey, can you get back to me on those dates? He shot me a note back. He's like, dude, I answered that email like two days ago. I'm like, eh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, let me go recover that and, uh, and I'll get those times locked in. So it's just, it truly is. It's great. And it's awesome. And I wouldn't trade it for the world and it's, but it's not less busy. Mm-hmm. It's just really better busy. Yeah. I, I, I want to say I'm more busy, but that's probably not true. Cause the Thunderbird schedule was insane. But when I did have days off on the Thunderbirds, which was very rare, those days were completely off, where now I feel like I'm never completely off. Even though I have the flexibility where I could take a random weekday and block it off, I still would feel obligated that day to post on LinkedIn, to respond to messages, to respond to emails, to book things on on Calendly, whatever. Like The job's just never done when you're an entrepreneur and you're running everything. And I've hired a few people to kind of help manage that. Cause there was a point last summer where I was like, if I want to grow, I need some help. I can't do this all myself. So let's look that. I think that's a spectacular topic where we should, we'll spend some time in this conversation. Let's get to that though. Yeah. Um, Cause I'd love to, I'd love to hear how you're dealing with that and just having an open, honest, frank dialogue um, because a lot of the people who are here, guess what? They're either, they're right where we are. Doubt, some of them are slightly ahead. Most of them are one to two years behind us. So to kind of hear the, hear that, you know, the, what the trade really is, how it really works, how it really goes. It, it requires some discipline, no doubt. And I, sure. I'm, and I'm probably right where you are as it relates to bringing some people on to help. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know I jumped ahead a bit. I think we have a lot, a lot to talk about before the point of hiring people to take things off of your plate. So yeah, let's go back. I mean, so I, my podcast that just dropped yesterday was a, was a replay of our first, really our first conversation. And it was a conversation we had inside the, uh, my little insider group. And you and I just rambled about um, all the cool things, what felt cool at the time. And let's be honest, they are, they were pretty cool and remain pretty cool, but we were in such a different place. And yeah. one of the things I tell people now is look, don't underestimate how much your life can change in a year. Um, and in fact, I did that for probably the last 10 years of my life as I would, as I had a job that I loved and people I loved working around and work that was fulfilling to me. I still 
probably underappreciated how much differently my life could look once I made the decision to go chase something else, get, get clarity on what it could be, and then lean into how to start going at it. And, and so listening back to that pot, I hadn't listened to that conversation since I replayed it uh, yesterday, uh, the, earlier this week for the, for the podcast. And it was really, really cool because you and I, I, you know, I made reference to this community I've got that had a few hundred people in it. Now it's got several thousand. And I remember at the time you had like, I don't know, like 1800 LinkedIn followers, and now you've got 19,000. Yep. And, uh, and so it's just, it's pretty crazy how much your life can change in a year. And I'd love for you, if you don't mind, just take us back to the, to the extent you can. Roughly last June, you had just kicked off your first newsletter, which is how I think I found you. I'm like, how oh, this is, this is a person who's right where I'm at. Um, and how I found, take us back to that moment in June and kind of walk us through what are some of the things that have surprised you that have happened in just the last year? Oh, so much. Uh, yeah. So last June I had, you know, started my first paid speaking event ever was in March of that year. And I think by June I had done maybe only like three of them. So I was definitely in the point still of, okay, there's interest. People are starting to explore booking me to speak further out, but that's like months in advance. And the, the summer is kind of the desert as a keynote speaker a little bit like July, August are the quieter months. Kids are out of school. People just don't plan conferences and big meetings during that time. So I think about this time a year ago is where I was trying to stay positive that it would all work out, but I was definitely having some of those moments where I was like, okay, might have to tap into savings a bit for the next two months. Okay. Like we'll, we'll get there, but there's some uncertainty right now. Like what can I do to drum up more business? Which is crazy because just two months after that, um, September 1st, I did a virtual keynote and that kind of kicked off this period of insanity of busyness for me. I did like three keynotes in person in three days, one in Charlotte, one in Chicago and one in Portland. And I was like, uh, holy crap, the amount of people I got in front of the amount of I'll be uh, from the amount of money I made and the amount of logistics that actually went off flawlessly in three days. I was like, okay, like we could do this more often. This this is the first of many times where I'll probably be back-to-back -back events. And then I think I ended up doing like 80% of my revenue for last year from September to the end of the year. And so it just like took off like wildfire and it hasn't really slowed down until I think about, about now it'll slow down through August. And then I expect the fall to be crazy busy again. And I mean, to put that in perspective where I probably have one or two events last July and August, this June last month, I had seven events in just that one month. And again, like the way that I didn't fall into the trap of like giving up and being like, I need to pivot to something else. This isn't working is I just really was consistent with the small things that were in my control. And you mentioned LinkedIn, and that was definitely one of them, like writing quality content on LinkedIn every day was something that I could control. And that slowly paid off over time. And it's a lot like starting a workout plan, right? Like you're not going to all of a sudden get a six pack after doing like one ab workout, but being consistent day after day, even if it's only 30 minutes each day or 45 minutes each day, you look back months later and then you look back a year later and the progress can be pretty mind boggling because you don't recognize it necessarily when it's happening because it's a little bit at a time. But then you have those occasional surreal moments where you look back and you're like, 
whoa, like I blew my expectations out of the water, even though there were moments where it didn't feel like I was going to succeed. When we, when we talked a year ago, I remember you saying something to the effect of you, you just come off a, a speaking gig or two. And then you said you'd, you'd been losing some sleep recently because now you're thinking about the next month. So at that time it was, you're thinking one or two months out. It's like, oh my gosh, uh, I don't have anything out there yet. And so you're, you're, what you're talking about here is perfect, but you said something I want to go back to. One of the things that um, I think prevents a lot of people from leaving what they've got, leaving the, the comfort and the safety of what they've got, what they're doing, and there's goodness in that, and actually chasing what they're capable of and getting so curious to the point where they actually set out, let go, release where they are, and they set out on what's next, is, is we all get kind of spun up and entangled in the financials. And how do you deal with that? And, and, and um, when you're when you're a provider for the family, you're supposed to be responsible. You've got this image that you've built up over the last not one or two years, but really over your career, over the last 10 and 15 years, and you've you've established yourself in this position. In your case, it was a fighter pilot. In my case, it was a company executive. It's like, well, we must be crazy to walk away from that to yeah. go do what? Try to land some try to land some keynotes and try to inspire some people to change. I mean, what kind of person flames out and does that? And then on top of that, you start saying, and plus I've got responsibility to my family to provide. I can't take out of savings and I can't rob my retirement to do that. But the truth of the matter is you can, mm-hmm. you absolutely can. And I would love to know, how did you, when you, 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 you mentioned that, you know, gosh, at some point I might have to tap into my savings. How did you reason through that mentally so that it wasn't such an obstacle it was just an option you could do. Yeah, I think th- some of that went into preparing beforehand. And before I left active duty, I you know kind of mapped out the next few months. I was like, okay, I have you know a solid six months of runway. I can I could literally just not work at all, and we would be okay. It's not ideal. I would like to not deplete my savings, but we'll be okay. And I think what gave me confidence is that I was at a point where I knew. I had faith in my own ability to figure it out and it might not happen right away. I might still have those moments of doubt, but I think with how the world is right now with so many opportunities being available online, right? Like through content creation, through virtual courses, through masterminds, through podcasts, through written content, like whatever, there's just so many opportunities out there for streams of income that most people, the vast majority of people, it's well within their ability to figure it out and be okay financially. It's just kind of having the courage to make that leap of faith and believe in yourself for that, that time period where I was talking about this in terms of like confidence and competence. And when you jump into something new, your competence is going to lack for a little bit. That's natural as you learn the ropes of running your own business of becoming a speaker or whatever it is. But if you can find a way to bridge that gap and keep your level of confidence up like you that can take you over that time period where competence um is lacking and the way that i did that is by reflecting back on the successes i've experienced in my last career my first career that those were transferable into what i was doing now so it might not be flying a fighter jet but i have a very long track record of successfully persevering through things, of putting in the work, of figuring things out as I go, of being resourceful, of networking with people. And all of those skills, even though this is a completely different industry, I still possess them. 
And so I think that gave me confidence to take that leap of faith. Absolutely. I love it. Um, one of the things I, I remind people is when, before we start something new and especially when it feels risky and dangerous and, you know, on the verge of being crazy to go out and to, to give up what we've been to go be something else is we all, we all wish that we had the, the, um, confidence to do it. And, and I tell people, yeah, that would be nice. That would really be absolutely nice to have left my job or for you to, to walk away from the cockpit and be confident that it was going to work. And really what it takes, um, it takes courage. Yeah. It takes courage. And when you get courage, and then like you said, you put in the reps, you put in the reps again and again, and again, your confidence come is it's an output of the courage. But if you, if you don't start from this place of an insane amount of deep rooted, gritted out courage, confidence in yourself for sure. And courage to start it. Uh, I, I think that most people just tend to tolerate what they've got because yep. they can't, they can't quite make that step. Yep. I've said that several times to people is that the majority of people will sit in kind of this place where they're not extremely uncomfortable, not extremely unhappy, but they're not fully fulfilled. But their current state isn't uncomfortable enough to swing the pendulum to make them step into this new thing that is inherently uncomfortable because it's unknown and scary and that's natural. That's gonna feel a little bit strange and foreign until you find your footing. So for a lot of us, some significant life event has to happen to trigger us to take action and make a big change that ends up being one of the best changes in our lives, like going through a divorce or having a death in the family or losing your job and being forced to make that decision. But I think there's a lot of power in being able to decide that for yourself when you're not in a catastrophe. And then you have the ability to do it on your own timeline. You have the ability to prepare for it more um, financially, as far as your mindset, as far as prepping your family, all of those things. And so it ends up being a lot less traumatic version of that transition. If you can decide on your own timeline versus, oh crap, my life is falling apart. I guess we have to do this now. Oh man, I love it. You're absolutely, uh, in alignment with, uh, with the normal 40 man. That is, that's awesome. I thought I call it the six D's. Um, and you just nailed, you just described four of them. Uh, another one is a downsizing, uh, downsizing your house when the number of heads in your house goes down and a diagnosis, you get a medical diagnosis and, and there you have it. Um, what if you, here, here's something interesting, a question I would be curious to know. So you've had, and I got to tell you, um, it was so obvious to me when I met you a year ago that you were going to be successful. I mean, it was, it was, um, your story is great. You're articulate, you're fun to talk to, um, and you're willing to put in the work and it was really obvious. And, and so admittedly, uh, I was like, I gotta, I've got to meet Mace because I want to write her coattails. She's pretty spectacular. And, and it's been so, so fun to, to follow you. And it's been fun to see as you post and you talk about your journey. And I just know my journey that I'm on the, the sequence of events and how they've kind of been happening for both of us. And I'm curious to know what, what is something, if you could something or some things that you've discovered about yourself in this last year, after you've kind of rounded out the, I still think it'll work. It'll probably work. What I, but, but now you're in demand and now you're probably at a point to where you get to really decide which events and which timelines work and which don't. And that isn't, that isn't easy. It isn't by accident. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of fortitude to get there, but in the process, you find yourself. 
And I'm wondering what you've learned about yourself in the last year. Yeah, a couple of things. I I still suffer from some perfectionism tendencies for sure, where I, if anyone follows me on Instagram, I just posted this in a story recently. Adam Grant put out this really nice post. It was like this big circle and it was like what I expect of myself. And then there was this tiny little dot inside that big circle. And it was like, what is physically possible for one human to do in a day? And I probably when we talked last even, I was at this point where I'm like, okay, I want to have a second keynote. I want to have workshops. I want to write a book. I want to do virtual courses. I want to hire a staff. And you're just, you can get to this point where you want to do so many things that you do nothing. It's like paralysis by analysis and you're just overwhelmed. You don't know where to start. And so I've had moments like that. And I realized that I could burn myself out pretty quickly being, doing what I'm doing now, being an entrepreneur. If I hadn't have recognized that and just started to be more forgiving with myself and be more willing to give myself time to get to those milestones. And it turns out most of those things are happening, but they weren't going to happen all at once. And they weren't going to all happen in the first six months. Um, and so just developing that patience and recognizing that that perfectionism has probably driven me to do a lot of great things, but it also can be a downfall if you let it. We've talked a few times already in this conversation about how we can, one of the reasons we leave this, the, we choose to leave the person we've become or the life that we've had or the job that we've done is that we want some control back over our calendar. I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's one of the first things I ask people every time we ramble, I say, so tell me, tell me what you're feeling. And they give me a, a, a number of wonderful adjectives, usually um, pretty depressing. Um, and then it's, it's some, then I ask them, so tell me what you want. And they're, they, they all talk about the outcome. They don't know what they want by the way of, I want to be a keynote or I want to, I want to write a book, but they know that they want some control back over their calendar. And then they, and they know that they want some time back with their family. And they know that they want the ability to say no to something and not wear guilt about it. And they just want to laugh and feel joy again. Sounds pretty simple, but, but it's really, really hard. And then so many of us set off and we do it. And it's really easy, really damn easy to lose complete control over your calendar again. And because everything sounds good and you're in startup and everything is, everything is something you should do because it might lead to something. Yep. And at some point you get so busy and, and it doesn't take long in a matter of months, you're so busy doing things that you're not really all that interested in doing and wondering why you said yes to them to begin with. And you're backing away now from the same problem you had only six months earlier. And if you're like me, you've probably come up with some things, some tools, some metrics, some some principles that kind of help guide you within your calendar. How are you going to choose to spend your time? And I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit of that with with us here. Um, how do you how do you manage your calendar so that you're not so busy that you're not also in love with what you do? You you just summarize where I was like the second half of last year, maybe about the time we talked for like the next three or four months after that it was, I was feeling so guilty every time I would say no to someone that wanted to connect on LinkedIn and wanted to hop on a call. And my LinkedIn following was growing because I was putting out compelling content, you know, multiple days a week. And I had that exact thing. I was like, well, what if that conversation, I don't think I align with that person. Like I'm not seeing anything on their profile or in their message that like, it's like, oh, I should for sure talk to them. But what if they know this person that books keynote speakers? And what if, what if, what if? And I was, 
I would spend all day on Zoom calls, not actually accomplish, accomplishing anything. And I would be like so tired and so stressed because the things I actually did need to get done weren't getting done. And honestly, the biggest turning point was for me to make the financial leap to hiring some 1099 employees and bringing on two people part-time who could make those decisions for me without an emotional connection. And so I brought on uh, Melissa who helps me like behind the scenes with contracts, with the back and forth on logistics stuff. And honestly, one of the most helpful things she does is she fields emails that come into my info uh, email account that are rant like random fan mail, requests for photos, requests for Thunderbird patches, podcast interview requests. She responds very nicely with like a nice, like personal touch to all of these requests that a lot of them I can't do. And then the ones that trip the threshold of, oh, Michelle should at least take a look at this. She sends me like a nice little summary. Hey, here's the podcast. This is their topic. This is their viewership. This is how look- soon they're looking to record. What's your thoughts? And I'll be like, yep, let's do it. And then she books it for me. Or it's like, no, I think I'll pass. And she re- sends a nice response. And just having someone to do that, she doesn't work that many hours for me, honestly. So it's pretty affordable. I think a price point that most entrepreneurs could afford is to have some sort of very part-time assistant. That is the filter. And having that filter removes that emotional burden of wondering about what if, and if I should have said yes to something and it takes away that guilt and that she still works with me now. And that was the best decision I made, even though I hired her in last August. So it was right in the middle of that desert where I was tapping into savings. And I was like, bring on employee and taking a portion of my money and paying someone else each month is scary, but I don't think I would have been able to scale like I have without that help. That's perfect. I did the same thing. I did the same thing around the same time. You know, just at some point, um, I got really tired trying to learn crap I was never going to be good at. Yeah. Building like a QuickBooks. website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, yes. Finances, I'm, I'm okay at. Building a website, are you kidding me? No. And I, I, I wonder how many hours of my life I burned up trying to build a very basic website. And then I decide after a bunch of swear words and probably some things thrown across the kitchen and a spouse who's probably sick and tired of me staying up until a ridiculous hour, trying to learn something I was never going to enjoy. I hired someone and for hundreds of dollars, they did a thousand times better than I did. And, uh, and I'm never going back. I'm never, I'm never doing a website again. And, um, and so I, it is such solid advice. How about, how about, um, how about just big blocks of time? Do you do you reason through big blocks of time with, okay, I'm going to speak once or twice a month or four or five times a month, whatever your number is, and you kind of bucket it out that way? Or is it really just kind of, if it feels good, I'm going to go with it? I wish I was as organized as the first one. And maybe I'll get there as there's just like endless opportunities, but I've been mostly like, if it feels good and they're reasonably close to my price point, I'll go for it which has kind of been a fun place to be, honestly, even though it sounds kind of like I'm running like this haphazard operation with that mentality. But it's fun because I get to like stay curious about opportunities coming in. And if I say no to something now, I'm at the point where I don't feel guilty. And when something comes in that is exciting, I get really excited about it. And I've had a lot of people be like, what's your five-year plan with what you're doing? And I'm like, well, of course I'd like to, you know, have very consistent demand for speaking. I'd like to raise my price point. 
I'd like to diversify into these other things. But I'm like, I'm honestly at a point where I can sustain our quality of life, like actually well above what I was doing on active duty in the military. And we could not grow at all. And I'd be like pretty dang happy with where I'm at, but we're continuing to grow. And just being in a spot when these unique opportunities pop up where I can say yes to them is one of my favorite things about doing what I'm doing right now. When something pops up, like if anyone follows me on social, you saw me post about uh, the NASCAR race last weekend. I got to go to Atlanta Motor Speedway because one of the drivers has a foundation focused on getting kids into reading. And he featured my children's book, which A, was amazing. Then he offered to bring me out to the race and do a reading live there in the fan zone with him. And then I basically got to shadow him for the whole weekend. So all the behind the scenes stuff for one of the drivers and listen on the headsets and be on pit row and just see how they operate. And there's a whole lot of parallels there between the Thunderbirds and working with maintenance and the whole team and high performance machines and all the things as there, uh, there's a lot of similarities with NASCAR and I'm not even a NASCAR fan. And I was just so excited to go do that. And it was such a cool weekend. And so having the ability, I only found out about that maybe three weeks beforehand, having the ability to generally shift my schedule around, unless I'm in contract for a paid speaking event, I can move meetings, I can move client calls, and I can say yes to the things that really get me fired up. And that just keeps me motivated overall. It keeps me excited to, this is going to sound crazy. It keeps me excited to open my email every morning and see what new opportunities have shown up. And I I mean, I had a cool job before, but I never was excited about opening my email. I couldn't love that response anymore because I can relate to it. Um, I tell one of the things I, I often say is I start so many conversations this way. If you'd have told me one year ago that I would be fill in the blank. Um, and, and I get to do that because I save space to be curious to chase the things that sound interesting. And if they don't, and if they sound dumb or stupid or just not all that fun, no, I'm, I'm, and I have no guilt about doing that. Um, and, uh, and so I love the fact that you use the phrase, I get to show up curious. And the other thing about email, I'm, I'm so, I used to get, when I would get behind an email, I would have all this anxiety because um, there was, there was, I just knew I wasn't getting work done and somebody was waiting on me for something. And now when I get behind an email, which I am right now, because I'm getting ready for a, a book launch, I'm, I'm way behind. I yeah. have anxiety because of all the cool stuff I'm missing out on, on connecting on with all these people who want to talk about really great things. Um, and it's, and it's just radically different. And it's this different motivator um, to, to, to get up in the morning and, and get into work. Um, and so I just, I absolutely love that. Who who for you, and, and this can be multiple people, but who has shown up for you in the last year that surprised you? And it can be a group, but what, what surprised you about your following and the people who just showed up just to be helpful? What is, who, who by individual or by group uh, or by community has shown up for you? That has been one of the most surprising things for me over the last year, because just being on active duty, you don't, of course you network with people, but it's not quite the same. Like you don't rely on it like you do in the civilian sector, especially as an entrepreneur. And I knew that it was important in theory, like all these people were telling me that, but I didn't quite realize how powerful it is until I was in that world. And 
the number of, so I think, you know, I have my following on Instagram that built primarily around cool jet videos. And I have this avatar of what those followers look like in my head. And they're just like aviation enthusiasts. And right, but turns out they're a very diverse group of people. You have everything from high school kids to retired people, veterans. You have CEOs of companies who hire speakers that are following me on Instagram, which is not the place you think of for that group. And the number of people both there and on LinkedIn who are decision makers high up in their companies who are willing to believe in me enough to bring me and put me in front of their team and put their name on the line and put finances and resources towards paying me to come tell my story has just blown my mind. And it happened very quickly. I mean, my first corporate keynote ever was through a mutual contact that I connected with on Facebook. And then we connected on Instagram and then his wife worked for this financial institution. And then they were having a meeting and all of a sudden last summer, She's calling me, asking me if I can fly to Denver next week for an in-person keynote for their leadership team. And I had a moment of imposter syndrome when I got asked and only had a week's notice, but I went and it was awesome. Um, and so just people like that who have been willing to put their name on the line, who we've, I've never personally met, never had a meal with, never had a deep conversation with, has just blown blown me away. I'm so grateful to all of them. It's kind of it kind of restores your trust in humanity to a certain extent. Sure. Um, it, I, um, what's, what's interesting. And I know you, you feel this too, is you, you put out, we work hard to create good content. I know you do. Cause I read your content and it's spectacular. And I know I do because I sit in this chair right behind me a few hours every day, making sure that I've crafted a message that I think just might be the thing that motivates someone to think one degree differently about their life. And that, that takes work uh, and, it, and it takes time. And then over a period of time, and it does take time, the ripples start to show up. People yep. start to come back and they start to ask questions and they start to engage. And then they start to make changes and they start to make decisions, not because they hired me, but just because they're inspired and motivated and want to the message of inspiring them to act for themselves is setting in. And th that is so rewarding and inspiring. And like I said, it restores my faith in humanity. If you turn off the news and tune into a community that, that might actually, you might actually be able to help them get through something that's the biggest obstacle of this decade in their life. And you can do that in a way that's helpful and fulfilling and fun and adventurous. It's just absolutely spectacular. No, absolutely. And I think it's a good reminder that social media gets this bad rap about, you know, just being a bunch of cynical trolls. And I mean, they're there for sure. But when you realize that they're not the people you're writing for, that's not your target audience. It makes it a lot easier to ignore them and recognize that, you know, you think about yourself, I'm sure. And you sit and you read through other people's content and you find those moments of inspiration or a post that really resonates. It feels like it's speaking directly to you. And I have those all the time. And I think people put each other on a pedestal and people will put me on a pedestal as a Thunderbird pilot. And even as what I'm doing now as a keynote speaker, 
but I am just like them consuming things and being motivated by someone's quote or being motivated by someone's personal story. And so when I remind myself of that, I realize that there are thousands of people out there consuming my stuff who are in that same position, who are good people with big dreams, who are just struggling with their inner doubt or their inner critic or whatever obstacle it is. And that one post can be the thing that makes them take that leap of faith or that plants that seed of inspiration. And those tiny little things can completely change the path of their lives. And it's a privilege to be in a place where I can do that for other people. Do you have any regrets about your decision to leave the United States Air Force and break out on your own and create upside down dreams? No, zero. <laughs> not, not the far opposite of that. I'm like so glad I made that decision and I'm, I've, it's been the most incredible last 18 months. So rewarding, so exciting, so fun. I mean, I, it's hard to explain to people because they saw me flying for the Air Force Thunderbirds. Like that sounds ridiculous, right? It's like this job that is just not something most people aspire to. And it, it's almost like a superhero status for a lot of people. It's still a job. Like it's still a grind 240 days on the road every year pulling nine G's five to 10 times a week or more than that, flying five to 10 times a week, pulling nine G's multiple times a flight, you know, the stress but, on your body demands. But on never your at circle entry, never at circle never. entry. No, don't do it at circle. Well, don't do it for very long at circle entry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you get to a certain point where like, okay, I've, I've come here. I've done what I came here to do. And I think there's more for me. And that sounds it's hard to say that without sounding like arrogant, like you're somehow better than this amazing organization that has 70 years of history, but that's not it at all. It's that that experience helped me recognize kind of a purpose that I could fulfill that was rewarding for me personally, but also was really changing other people's lives for the better. And I don't think there's anything more rewarding and fulfilling than being able to put yourself in a position where you can do that for a living. What advice would you give yourself, you know, go back to, go back to 2020, 2021. And I know that was an awkward time because of COVID and you're, you had an obligation, a uh, contractual obligation to remain in the air force for a period of time after, uh, after becoming a pilot. But what advice would you give yourself if you could go back and talk to 2019, 2020 Mace about this point in your life in the transition from that point to this point, what would you want you to know in 2019? Yeah, I, you talk about like regrets and things you would do differently. And I mean, I wouldn't go change anything, but like the one thing that I occasionally think of is there were moments where I could have be kind of cynical and I could be kind of like cranky on the road and, you know, just, I got married my first season on the team, not ideal to get married and then be on the road that much for the first three years of your marriage. So I missed my husband. I have a new stepson. I like just, I felt like I was missing all these other obligations I needed to be taken care of. And so I think there was a lot of times where I could have been a better teammate and I could have enjoyed the present moment a little bit more rather than like counting down the days until I had more control of my life because in hindsight, I got to do some pretty damn incredible things. And it's a shame when you're in that moment and you aren't able to recognize it for what it is. And you kind of can get stuck in that, that spiral of just 
of cynicism or being cranky or whatever. And I think we've all found ourselves there. You get salty, I guess is a good way to describe it. And it's not fun for the people you work with. And when I think back, I'm like, I wish I had been, you know, a little more present and a little more willing to embrace all the amazing opportunities that I would was getting. So I would probably try to give myself advice, but I was probably too salty at the moment to take it. Uh, and then I think as far as from there to now, I mean, it's gone pretty amazing, but there were things that have happened that are unexpected, right? Like I kind of, you look at 2019, 2020, I was, you know, pretty confident I was going to leave active duty, but I figured I would go fly for the airlines. And then COVID happened and the airlines weren't hiring anymore. And then I got asked to stay on the team for an extra year. And I didn't know what the hiring scene would look like 18 months from then. And I was like, okay, what would my backup plan be? And as I started to think about other options, that's when speaking kind of came into my even sphere of knowledge that it was a thing and that it was a thing enough that you could build a whole business off of it. And I started, I think for me, COVID was a blessing in disguise because getting a third year on the Thunderbirds, even though it wasn't something I wanted when I first found out, it ended up being my favorite season because I felt very settled into my role and I was much more comfortable and there was a lot less anxiety and stress because I knew how to manage it. I met incredible people and yeah, it was just, it was my favorite season of the three. And it also forced me to reevaluate beyond the status quo and think if I was the artist of my next chapter and I had a blank canvas I could do anything with, what would I do with it? If I wasn't going to do what everyone else does, what would I go do? And that's how I got to where I am now. So I think just being like, just go with the flow and trust that it's all going to work out, which is hard to do in the moment, especially in the middle of a pandemic, but it really has all worked out. One of the things that I discovered when, when I was um, probably about where you were, I, I didn't, I wasn't contractually obligated to stay um, like you were. And um, when I, when I really started getting curious, when I'd, I'd come to this point, in my professional career where I just was feeling like my work there was done. I could still do good work. I could still contribute. I could be a good team member, but man, my work there was done. I didn't, I didn't think that there was anything I could really do for the company that was going to be transformational uh, in my, in my last few months there. And I didn't feel like there was anything else the company could do for me from the way of teaching, guiding, growing in a way that I wanted that was fulfilling to me for the long term. So my work there was done. I felt like, you know what, maybe I just finished. I, I, I don't hate it, but I'm just probably finished. And that allowed me to start exploring and learning and investing my time in other things. And that's when I stumbled on a normal 40 and started to post and, and the world started to change very similar to you. But it was also in that time when I realized that, hey, look, I've got options here. I don't have to stay. It might mean that there's some scary times and there's some risks and there's some things that are going to make me really uncomfortable, but I do have options and people will hire me to be me doing the things I like to do. And when, when I started to notice that, and I leaned into that, I started to have a very awesome appreciation for the work I was doing at the time. It wasn't a grind anymore. It wasn't this thing I had to do. It was this thing I was choosing to do for a while longer. And I appreciated it. Very similar to you. You said your last year was your favorite. Um, I appreciated my last several months at my last company 
so much more. I appreciated the people so much more. I was, because I knew it was coming to an end and that allowed me to just absolutely soak it in and appreciate it. And so what wonderful advice to anybody listening to just take a step out of the day-to-day combat of your job and to rise up to 10, 20, 30,000 feet and float there for a little bit and see it for what it is. Uh, Cause even on your worst day, it's not the worst life. And to just appreciate that and get your wherewithal. And lean, when you start leaning into whatever your next story is, you appreciate it even more, but you get even more excited about making the trade. For sure. I think perspective is so powerful. And it, that's like such a good example of how your circumstances, like your day-to-day job didn't change at all. Your demands at work didn't change at all or your role there, but just your view on it changed. And that can completely affect your productivity, how you feel about being there, how you are to work with. And I think that there's just so many things in life that are like that. Like we, we tell ourselves these stories and we see these things through these lenses. And we often forget that that reality that we create is not always factual, that it's like, it's contaminated by so many different things, expectations, past experiences. And when you can be very intentional with finding a way to step back and have that almost like third person perspective where you can look at things kind of in an objective way, it can give you so much clarity on how you're misviewing things. And if you can just make that small adjustment, it can completely change your circumstances, even though your literal circumstances haven't changed. I'm going to shift gears here just slightly. Um, You wrote a book, a children's Mm -hmm. book called Upside Down Dreams. And I, I went back and as you know, um, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while and we've been complimentary of one another's work. And I, I remember a post you wrote about um, where the impetus for this dream started. And it started in the Smithsonian when you were, I believe, a Thunderbird. I should probably just let you tell the story, but because I'm already rambling, I'm going to go with it. But you were a Thunderbird early in your career and you were in the gift shop at the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian and you were looking for a gift. And you were chronically under, I should say, you were underwhelmed. I don't know if it was chronically or not, but you're underwhelmed with the selection of books that were there for kids, but especially little girls who were, uh, who deserved more. And it planted the seed. And I want you to take us from that moment to your book launch and tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, you nailed it. That's, yep, 2019 was there in my Thunderbird uniform doing an event there and just didn't see the representation of really fighter aircraft in the kids books or little girls as the main character and being you know the only female pilot at the time that was flying for the thunderbirds i immediately was like this representation is important because i could see how powerful it was for the kids i was interacting with um and like i said though the thunderbirds show schedule was insanely busy so this idea pops in and it gets filed away into one of those things i'm going to do someday and then i go back to air shows really busy in the first season just trying to figure out how to fly and manage all of the things the your first season is pretty overwhelming and then we go into 2020 and early before the pandemic started right before we started our show season our boss sat us all down and was like hey i'm gonna do a goal setting meeting which we hadn't done before with him and he's like next week we're gonna have another meeting i want you to come in with three goals one that's related to flying for the team one that's related to something personal And then I forget what the oh the other one was like around your family, like relationships, that kind of thing, because that can be very tough with the schedule we ran. And so one of the goals I brought back, probably the personal one, 
was that I wanted to write a children's book about a little girl that wanted to be a fighter pilot. And everyone else at the table, all the other Thunderbird officers were like, huh? Like it was just an unexpected goal for me to set. And they were like, okay, cool. And then I was like, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I want to make it happen. Turns out our show season never really started. The day of our first show was the day that the country essentially shut down and we never ended up actually going. And I found myself pretty quickly working remotely for several weeks and just being at home with all this time on my hands. And so that's when I was like, I'm going to write this children's book manuscript. And I had all of these experiences that I had had as a pilot with these kids where I could see I was planting that seed of inspiration for them. And so I tried to think of like, just pick one of these children and imagine what their story could be like outside of this interaction. Like this interaction can be part of the story, but what else is going on in their lives? And so that's how Lily Padilli uh, was born. And it's just fun to say, that's why I named her that. But, um, you know, I, I've started to write it and honestly writing the manuscript happened pretty quickly because it felt so organic to tell this little girl's story. I felt like I had seen it so many times and I'll tell you what the book's about quick since we're talking about that it's a children's yeah, picture book so it's for kids like little kids that you would read to all the way up to probably like seven or eight year olds and um, I got paired with a really amazing illustrator so the illustrations are beautiful I did not do them I am not an artist um, but it's about Lily who sees these jets flying over her school and she is enamored by it and so fascinated by aviation, but she keeps getting in trouble because she's not paying attention in class. So she goes home and turns out the teacher's called mom, of course. And so she gets scolded by her mom about not paying attention in class. Meanwhile, her grandpa is visiting for dinner and that's like one of her favorite people. They have a really close relationship and he overhears this whole conversation where she tells her mom the reason is because she's distracted by these airplanes flying over. And so he decides to share with his granddaughter that he actually used to be a fighter pilot, you know, before she was born. So she didn't even know that. And so they have this really cool conversation where he explains what it was like, and she's just so excited. Um, and so he's like, yeah, you got to study hard if you want to do that. And she fully embraces this, goes back to school, is answering all the questions in class. And she starts to get some criticism from her peers about being a know-it-all. And they're like, why are you all of a sudden acting like this? And so she shares this dream of becoming a fighter pilot. And she gets skepticism from them based on her gender. Because the kids at that age, when I wrote that part, I was like, is this too on the nose? But since then, I have had several interactions with little girls who have come up looking so concerned, so devastated that they want to be a pilot. But someone's told them that only men are pilots or only boys are pilots. And all the pilots they know in their minds are all male. And so it actually creates this doubt for them as to whether there's a place for them in aviation. And so Lily's grandpa uh, takes her to a Thunderbird air show and she watches the show and she's of course just fascinated by it. But then the jets land taxi in, pilots take off their helmets and the number five pilot, her braid swings out, which I was number five, my second and third year on the team. And she has this moment where She's just elated to see someone that she can identify with doing something that she really wants to do, but that she was having doubt about whether there was a place for her in. And so they have this really great little interaction at the end. And she walks away from that, just empowered to chase down this dream. And so when I wrote it, I was like, this is going to inspire a lot of little girls to realize that they can go do these things. But what's been 
really cool to see is all the feedback from I mean, people of all ages, really. But a lot of parents have bought it for their sons. And they've had these incredibly touching moments that they've shared with me about their sons being like, look, a pilot that looks like mommy or a pilot that looks like their sister or whatever. And so it's also opening their eyes to normalize it where it doesn't have to be this thing that's so unique. And I mean, 3% of fighter pilots in the Air Force are women. So such a small number still. Uh, So yeah, that's what the book's about. But to take you back how we finally got there, I wrote the manuscript and me being very naive on how the publishing world works. I went online and I found the best literary agents for children's books, like the ones with the highest number of sales. And I just started sending them all query letters um, with the manuscript. And I was like, I sent out like 30 of them. I was like, someone's gonna pick this up. Yeah, no one picked it up because I have written nothing. Most of them have never heard of the Thunderbirds. And so it just didn't go anywhere. And then Airshow started up eventually and got super busy again. And it just sat there for over a year, all through my third season. And then as I started to make the transition into the civilian world and started to post on LinkedIn a bunch, there was actually a ghostwriter that reached out to me in my DMs on LinkedIn and asked if I had ever thought about writing a personal development book. And at the time, I wasn't ready to do that yet. I was like just at the point of leaving active duty. But I happened to mention to her on a phone call that I had this children's book manuscript that had been, you know, collecting dust for the last year and a half. Turns out the publisher she works with has a whole segment of children's books. They're a fairly, fairly small publisher, so they were much more willing to get on a call with me and hear me out without a literary agent even being involved. And we signed paperwork like a week later. So it happened very quickly once I connected with the right person. But I think it's a really cool example of, you know, you can have these these goals that you want to achieve, but sometimes they just take time and a little bit of patience. And it took four years from that visit to the Smithsonian to actually having the book in my hands in print and it going and launching. So we're here. It's a total passion project. And it's been honestly like such a rewarding thing to take on. It's been more well-received than I could have ever hoped for. And the reach is really growing and it's opening doors to all kinds of other cool opportunities that I never expected. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the, that was a long story, but that's the, the long story of the children's book, Upside Down Dreams. I love it. It deserves a long story um, because there's, there's so many wonderful lessons in there, not the least of which is knowing you like I do, I can see so much of you in that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, I get that. And that's absolutely spectacular. Um, being married to a kindergarten teacher, uh, I can see the, the need and the, that, that age being the perfect age to really, to really deliver that message. And then maybe one of the things that actually is that I found most interesting when I came across um, where you posted this online was that it takes time. It takes time and you can start things and move them forward and put them down and move them forward and put them down and keep, keep doing them over time. And eventually, eventually the time will be right. Um, and, and the, the, the fascinating thing about that is it requires only one thing. And that is that you start. You start with the manuscript, you start getting your thoughts down and you return to it as you're able. And had you not, had you not done that work, 
you would have never, ever had a book. I, I shouldn't say that. The chances of you actually having this book, had you not actually done the work starting in 2019 and then 2020 and COVID, would probably be fractional to, to uh, the actuality of it actually being here. Yeah, and no, I think that is like the biggest lesson because a lot of us are very like all or nothing mentality. So we're like, oh, if I don't have months to dedicate to getting this project across the finish line, I'm not going to even start it. But if I thought that way, I wouldn't have even, you know, started typing and written the first few words of this book. So I think it's those like little consistent actions. And even when the consistency lags occasionally, because life gets in the way, that doesn't mean you're like one and done and you missed your shot. Like you can always come back and pick it back up. And yeah, that that's what ended up happening. And we got there finally. All right. So two questions. Um, tell us where people can buy the book and then tell us where people can learn more about booking you for speaking um, and, uh, and anything else you want to add about Upside Down Dreams. Yeah. So the book uh, is available directly from the publisher and game press, or usually the easiest is Amazon. It's on Amazon. It made Amazon bestseller for a week, which was cool. It's still a number no, number one new release in several categories. Um, so yeah, if you just search either my name or upside down dreams, you'll find it um, there. And then for speaking stuff, to get kind of the overview of what the keynotes are about, what the workshops are about, to contact my team via email, that's all on my website, which is just macekern.com. To get a feel for what I talk about in general and like who I am as a person, honestly, following me on LinkedIn is is the place to do it because I do put a lot of work into sharing all the themes that you'll find in my keynotes and workshops, but also just broader stuff and other topics where I pull personal experiences from a high performance team, from operating in an environment where you know, mistakes have high repercussions, where fear can start to creep in, where self-doubt can start to creep in, and kind of my struggles with all of those things and the ways to overcome them. I, I try to translate it in a way that is kind of intriguing and fun to read, but also gets to a level where people are walking away with like, oh, I can use that in my own life, where they can see the parallels. And so I think LinkedIn has just been an incredible platform for me to do that. And it's gotten really great feedback there. So I guess that's three places, book on Amazon, Mace Kern for speaking overview, but then for thought leadership, we'll call it. I'm not going to be an influencer on LinkedIn. We'll call it thought leadership on that platform. Um, that's where it's at. Outstanding. Well, um, the people who tend to find Normal 40 and the people who tend to listen to this podcast are people who have a lot of ability and a lot of responsibility. And they tend to be leaders and executives who have the ability to book people like you. Um, and my, my ask for anybody who's listening is to be, be one of the people who hire Mace. And if I had an event and I had an, uh, anything that I had coming up, I, it wouldn't even be a, it wouldn't even be a, a thought in my mind. I would love, love, love to bring you in and, uh, and to partner with you in some way to figure out how to tell us a compelling story to, to create a wonderful message. So my, my ask it is um, two things. One, check out Mace and see if there's a, a way that she fits into your program. But two, here's a bigger one and an easier one. Anybody who's listening can buy five copies of your book and donate it to the kindergarten to the kindergartens in your neighborhood. I'm going to do that. My wife is one of them. I'm going to, I've already got one copy on order. I'm going to buy 
copies for the rest of the kindergartens. And uh, I just think that would be a wonderful way, of course, to support Mace, to give back to her for all that she's doing, and to share a wonderful story and a wonderful asset for young boys and girls in elementary schools across the country. So Mace, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for being here. It's always a joy to reconnect with you. And one day we're going to meet and that is going to be a good day. Absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to that. Maybe we'll both be, you know, working together, collaborating on some sort of speaking event where we both get to share our story, which I think would be really cool because there's a lot of parallels. Um, but yeah, and thank you so much for the ask that you just did, of course, the speaking stuff, but I love the donating the book part. And it, that's been one of the most rewarding things is to see people reach out and be like, hey, I bought a copy. I don't have any kids, but I donated it to our our local women's shelter because women come in from abusive relationships with their kids in tow and it's a traumatic time and it's good for them to have something there like that or the elementary schools or the libraries. And that is a big part of it with it being a passion project is just to get it in the hands of kids that need inspiration. So thank you for, for asking your audience that. Of course. Thanks for all you're doing, Mace. Uh, let's, let's not wait another year to do this. No, for sure. We should do one in person when we're both at an event. And you got it. When I'm in your neck of the woods. There you go. All right. Great to see you, Mace. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get this posted and we'll see you in the next page. Sounds good. See you. Thank you. Hey everyone, that's a wrap. Thanks for being here. I would like to give a special thanks to Mace, Michelle Curran. Hey, look, if you're looking for Mace, here's where you find her, macecuran.com. All of her information's there. If you want to hire her for a keynote, let me tell you, that's something you should absolutely do. If you want to just talk to her about a keynote, that's where you find her. She'd hop on a call. She does workshops. And of course, she's got her book, Upside Down Dreams. And I issued each of you a challenge to go to Amazon and buy it and donate it to your school if you don't have kids in your own home. One more thing I want to say, by the time you're listening to this, my book, The Trade, will have been launched. But I'm recording this, I'm about 12 hours away from launching my book, and I'm beside myself with excitement. I can't wait to see what the next 40 hours of my life brings. For all of you who've been on my journey, thank you. I couldn't, I, I, I just can't thank you enough. Also, if you want to get a little bit closer, you want to get a little bit more, you want to have some time with me every month, I've got a group for you. It costs $25, and at least twice a month, I am in this closed private community called The Insider. You can find it at normal40.com. If it's not the best 25 bucks a month you spend, if you're not getting your money's worth, let me know. And there's no questions asked. You hit a button and you, you, can, you can cancel your subscription. But my goal is to keep you. You're going to love it. The conversations that we have in there are real. They're live ammo. And they are a group of people who are right where you are. Come join us. Hey, everyone, don't forget to buy my book, The Trade. And I, my goal is to make it a New York Times bestseller. And who knows where it's going to be by the time you hear my voice right now. Everyone, thanks for being here. From Adam Eaton and myself, thanks for downloading this episode of the podcast. Please follow it. Please share it. And we're going to see you on the next page.